Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. <laughs> We are back for another exciting episode. Thank you. Thank you, people. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> we are back for another exciting episode of All About Wine. If I get lost tonight, there's a storm. I can see it out the window. And so mm-hmm. if I get lost, it's the storm. So I don't know if yep. it's going to hit us or what, but... Just a fair warning there if we lose power I, or flicker or something. Yeah, same here. Um, and I have a backup plan. I have some technical information about this computer upgrade I'm doing right after the show. So I will tell people all about that. Um, <clears throat> because unlike uh, our host here, I am not a wine expert and I am not prepared to, <laughs> so <laughs> to take you're, over and start talking. You're either. You are either not going to be disconnected or they're going to learn a lot about computers because I can talk about that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's all about wine and or all about computers. Possibly. Possibly. It depends. Our backup plan. I don't know. We have people out there listening about wine saying, please don't lose your power. Please don't. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> so oh. sit back and enjoy a glass of red wine while we talk about CPUs. Here we go. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and people are calling in their, their geek, geek friends. Come listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah check this out. We're drinking wine and listening to the computer show. Alan, 
and say, it's been a week now. Have you got your first chapter of your book done? And let's see what he says. So I haven't done that yet. I'm going to do that after the show and see what he says. But it was a good guest last week. It was fun. But we don't have a guest this week. We do have some coming up. I'm not sure dates and all that. I've been corresponding. I guess there's like three or four of them, uh, maybe five that we'll have over the next month, I would say, month and a half. So keep up with us, and we'll keep you informed there. Okay. Anything else we need to tell people before we go into some information here? Um, no, uh, I don't. No, I don't have anything. I don't either. So, all right. Uh, holidays coming. Well, actually, speaking of holidays, I was telling you what day it was. And the magazine that I got that out of, for some reason, I no longer receive it. And I'm not sure if they went out of print or what they did. But I don't get anything from them anymore, which is sad because I used to get my information about what holiday it was and what was going on and everything through that. But I did download a thing a while back, and I found it while I was looking through my favorites, and it is holidays, and silly and good and bad and everything, and what's coming up, what's happening, and all that. And June has, well, the monthly holiday for June is just packed full of stuff. I mean, there's some, I used to read you a few of them on the other. I'm not going to go through this. This is National Migraine and Headache Awareness Month, uh, National Safety Month, Rose Month, Rivers Month, Gardening Month, uh, DJ Month. There you go, Mike. This is National DJ Month. And International Men's Month. Give a bunch of balloons month, all all sorts of stuff here. It's a women's golf month, uh, turkey lovers month. I don't know if it's cooked or live, but it is turkey lovers month. And then we got a whole bunch of weekly holidays in June. That um, is right now we're in the middle. Well, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Superman days is from the 11th to the 14th, which is the 11th today. Duct tape days is from 11th to 13th, but that has been canceled due to the COVID-19, which, I don't know, that brings up a whole bunch of questions, but I won't, you know, won't venture to guess. National Little League is 14th to the 20th, but that's been canceled. National Play Catch Week, 14th to the 20th, which, you know, goes in well. National Pet Wedding Week, unbelievable. These things go on and on. I mean, it's just, you know, a bunch of stuff. Then, today is the 11th, that's right, and so today is Corner on the Cob Day, National Career Nursing Assistance Day, National Cotton Candy Day, and National Making Life Beautiful Day. So, that's what's going on today. Tomorrow. National Banana Splits Day, but that's been canceled due to COVID-19. Cancel National Banana Splits Day? Hmm. 
So I promise you I'm not going to pull this out and read it every show, but uh, if there's anything that particularly jumps out at me, I will let you know. For example, the 14th is Army's birthday, and I don't think it's a person's name. I think it's uh, United States Army birthday celebrates June the 14th. So, again, I won't bore you with all these every time, but it is just a whole bunch of interesting stuff. So if you're interested... Yeah, it's actually uh, June 14th, 1775. The U.S. Army was founded when the Continental Congress authorized enlistment of expert riflemen to serve the uh, United Colonies for one year. And that's considered oh. the birth of the U.S. Army. Huh. Wow. Huh. Was found Interesting. In yeah, okay. Wow, that's coming from the 14th. So any of you Army veterans like me, uh, don't forget to celebrate the Army's birthday coming up uh, on Sunday, which is also Flag Day. I don't know if that's a coincidence or if that's was by design. Hmm. I don't know. So, Flag Day and Army's birthday is the same day. But uh, thank you, Mike. It catches us up on, on that. So, if you uh, all went to this every once in a while, I'll let you know what holidays are coming and what, what things are, but I'm not going to get into it with any depth because it almost have to show. Something else while looking through my archives because I have saved different things into archives simply for the purpose of talking to you about them later. And so I remember to check them out today. But something else I found in archives, which I hadn't talked about in a while, is wildfires. We had quite a discussion on wildfires. California was burning Sonoma and all that. But I just said I'd go ahead and look at the map and see what was going on with wildfires. And, oh, my gosh, we have wildfires. Uh, they're already starting all across the country. Oklahoma has one. Uh, only 287 acres have burned so far. New Mexico has the Roberts Fire, which is in southern New Mexico, 4,891 acres. And then they have another one, 780 acres. Arizona has one up in northern Arizona, which is actually, you're looking at wine country there. And that's 19,368 acres. That's a, that's a chunk of land there. There's like four of them throughout Utah. Biggest one is like only about 500 acres. There's uh, five or six of them in Idaho. Uh, the b biggest one there is almost 5,000 acres, and there's a couple others that are over 3,000. Tana has a couple. I don't see any of them that's around the wine growing areas, though. They don't specify here. I can zoom in on it, but it's there is one in Southern California by Barstow, a small one, 685 acres. Foothills of California, 933 acres. Up at California-Oregon border, 1,300 acres. And there's another small one, 156 acres. 
Oregon has a bigger one on up northern part, 2,681 acres. And another one not too far from it, 1,750 acres. And Washington has one on up too. So there are fires that are popping up all over the West so far. But the big story is the Alaska fires. There is one in southern Alaska down close to the coast, which is, uh, well, let me see, let me get let me get this up here so I can see this. Uh, there we go. Uh, okay. Zoom in a little bit here. Uh, close to Anchorage. There's one close to Anchorage, which is 102,500 acres burning. It's a Swan Lake fire. Uh, there's one south of Fairbanks. That's 19,500 acres. And then there's three or five of them on up in the northwest or northeastern part of Alaska, one of them ninety thousand, almost ninety-one thousand acres. Another one comes in at one hundred and thirty thousand acres. Another one five hundred and five thousand acres. Another one at two hundred thirty-eight, almost two hundred thirty-nine thousand acres, and yet a another one at forty-one thousand three hundred acres. Now, these are all up north part in uh, in the forest lands of Alaska, which is enormous areas and all that. The reason I'm pointing all these out, all these acreage, they create smoke. And we've talked about smoke taint lots of times on the show and how it affects grapes and stuff like that. Now, this time of year, it should not affect them. Grapes are on the vine. It should not be a problem. But those big fires are sending smoke all through northern Canada. And then they get by Hudson Bay, and the prevailing wind currents are turning them south, and they are heading toward New York, Maine, uh, Boston, that area there, Massachusetts, and all that. There are smoke going into those areas that are traveling in those areas from the Alaska fires. So if you live in those areas and you start smelling smoke in there, then it is because of the major, major fires in Alaska right now in the east, north, well, actually, you know, central, north, central area of Alaska. Uh, well, yeah, eastern part of the state. So there's... Fire update right now. There's, uh, uh, you know, it's a little bit early to be affecting grapevines, which is a good thing. But if they're starting now, they're expecting a bad fire season. If they're starting now, as these grapes grow, it may be an issue. So uh, just to let you know what's going on with that and the fires there. And I haven't talked about those. And again, I won't bring them up every week when the fire, I'm gone. I'm not on. Why am I not on? How come you're not on? Am I there? Yeah. Oh, there I am. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. I can hear you. You can hear me? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. 
No, I, I was looking at those sites, you know. I mean, I, I don't keep it on the studio all the time. I was overlooking the sites. Oh, yeah. I came back to the studio, and I wasn't there. The host was gone. It was just you. So oh, I great. thought about tuning in, listening to computer talk. But, you know, then you said I yeah. was here. So. <laughs> computer talk. <laughs> I, am, I am ready to go. I have my material right here. <laughs> Good. Good. I thought it was already happening. I really was. I, I thought it was. You know, well, uh, wow. That was. We could talk about it and then have it. No, I, I thought I disappeared there. Oh, I'm still here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. That was almost scary there. Okay. All right. I got some other things to tell you about today. Uh, about just. Miss I haven't had a chance to do it in a while because we've had guests probably saying, all right, but is wine health food? Aha, uh-huh. we've debated this back and forth. We have read things over and over and over about how wine is good for you and how wine is bad for you. And for every good, we tend to find a study that says it's bad. Well, this is out of Wine Folly. I don't know if you follow it or not. Uh, it's a good site. They have a lot of a lot of stuff they sell. Uh, they have tasting journals. And they have books and maps and all sorts of things. Uh, tasting wheels. They have a new one that's out now and all that. But Wine Folly is pretty good. I, I follow it quite a bit. But this is out of Wine Folly. And it says, Wine and Health, a Biopsychosocial Perspective says there's both hope and hype in the notion that wine is good for your health. From the French paradox to the Mediterranean diet and the latest science of aging, let's get a grip on the debate. Okay, now French paradox, if you are not familiar with the French paradox, the French live long, healthy lives because they do not have heart attacks at the rate we do. They do not have high blood pressure at the rate we do. They do not have vascular disease uh, at the rate we do. They Overall, they really do live uh, quite well when it comes to heart and vascular and all that. Their diet is very high in a lot of bad stuff for you, though. I mean, the pastries and some of the stuff, the pasta, different things that they have, it's not all good for you. But yet, overall, the French have a better heart vascular system than we do here in the States. Comparable diets, comparable everything. The main thing is that they drink wine. They drink wine a lot. In fact, they start giving wine to kids when they're about, you know, six, seven years old. Now, they don't give them a glass of wine. They'll give them, you know, maybe an ounce and then four ounces of water. But then they start getting used to it. (coughs) Excuse me. And as the child grows, so does the amount of wine. And the time they're 16, 17 years old, they're actually drinking wine along with the family, if not you know, younger than that. If you recall, recall our guest last week, Alan even mentioned that he grew up in an Italian household and they had wine when he was young. That's very true in a lot of that area over there in Europe, uh, especially France. And because of the fact that they drink wine and wine is good for your heart and vascular system and all that, it is attributed to the drinking of wine that they live so well. 
that has been called the French paradox. So you can look it up. Um, it'll tell you, you know, more detail than what I just said. But basically, that's it. And the Mediterranean diet, if you've ever went on diets, the Mediterranean diet tends to be one that people always gravitate to at least once during their diet studies. And just about everybody that I've ever talked to that has been on the Mediterranean diet has said that it's good. They've lost weight and they weren't hungry and stuff. So lots of stuff out there. And a lot of them allow you to drink wine. But let's uh, let's look at it a brief history. In enotherapy, enotherapy, E-N-O-T-H-E-R-A-P-Y, the relationship between wine and health is basically what enotherapy is. Ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs and Sumerian tablets from 2200 B.C. document wine as the world's oldest human-made medicine. And it was used as medicine a lot in the old ancients, you know, Rome and all that. But let's go into more of this. From ancient Greece and Rome through the Middle Ages, people used wine for everything. It killed bacteria in drinking water, acted as a digestive aid, cleaned wounds, relieved pain, and cured lethargy. (laughs) Uh, That opens up questions, too, but. Hippocrates, the father of clinical and molecular medicine, championed the health benefits of wine, as did Babylonian kings, Persian doctors, and Catholic monastics. Jewish Talmud plainly states, wine is the foremost of all medicines. Wherever wine is lacking, medicines become necessary. And that is from the Jewish Talmud. So, by the 19th, 20th centuries, medical research started to change the attitude about alcohol and called into question whether wine was really that good for you. Yet, since the early 1900s, scientific research on health benefits of wine has proliferated. I mean, it has run amok, if you will. Much of this has inspired... The healthy wine drinking Mediterraneans and the French and all that, they've looked at this and said, well, look how well they're doing, and they drink wine. Mediterranean lessons on wine and health. The diet lifestyle of the Mediterranean have long been renowned as a beacon of health, hence the Mediterranean diet. Best on re- based on research by scientist Sergey Renaud, a 1991 episode of 60 Minutes, Put the French paradox on the map. Now, I just explained to you what that was. Renault observed, oh, maybe, well, look at this, and they're going to explain it again here. Renault observed a paradoxical relationship between the seemingly not-so-healthy diet of his countrymen, high-fat, high-dairy, and daily wine, despite low risk of coronary health, uh, coronary heart disease. France, that wine-loving baguette and fromage-eating nation surpasses many countries in average life expectancy. French vitality has been attributed to the cultural values of drinking two to three glasses of wine a day. 
The longest living people in France reside in the Gears regions of the southwest. Here, high saturated foods like foie gras, sausage, duck fat for cooking, crozelet, and cheese are standard fare. But local sun-kissed reds such as Medrin, Cohers, and Bergerac wash down all of the glorious fats. That These wines' tannins not only scrape fat from the palate and digestive tract, but they are a rich and healthy heart-helping procyanide, uh, procyanidins. I pronounced that wrong. Procyanidins. It has to be cayenne because it's procyanidins. 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 Okay. So, Mediterranean diet is the next biggest thing next to the French paradox. Recognized for its health-promoting effects, the diet blends consumption of alcohol, mostly red, with less meat and a high consumption of vegetables, fruits, nuts, legumes, seeds, and olive oil. And the longest-lived people on Earth are in the Mediterranean area. Diet is only part of the story, though. Along with this cuisine, wine is an intricate aspect of the culture, the history, and the lifestyle of the Mediterranean. So, it sounds great and it sounds wonderful, but there are mitigating circumstances, as always. All right, now you've blanked out. Are you there? Yes, I am. I'm here. All right, one. Uh-oh. I don't hear you anymore. Uh-oh. Let me check something real quick. Uh, no, I hear you. I hear you. Let me go to Blog Talk Radio here. And let me go into uh, guest call in. And let me punch this. And let me go one, six, four, six, seven, two, seven, three, two, three, five. What? <laughs> Can you hear me? I got you now. Oh. Yeah, I hear you. Okay. I don't know what happened. I, I don't either. I just called in, so when you see the phone ring, that's me. Uh, okay. In fact, I'll hang up, so there we go. All right. That was me that just called and hung up there. I don't know what happened either. Wow. It, no. it is thundering around here, though. Quiet. Okay. Yeah. It is thundering no, around okay. here, so it may, you know, <laughs> we may may lose again, you know. I almost okay. expect it to be. So, <laughs> let's go back to the beginning. No, we won't do that. Let's go back to our healthy diet here. Uh, let's see where it was. I What's that? I was playing the intro. Oh, oh. okay. You meant... <laughs> <laughs> you meant your, yeah, no, no, not all you of it. What you were doing? Yeah, what I was okay. doing, not the beginning of the show, okay. just to where okay. I was. Okay. <laughs> oh, all right. I will resist. <laughs> okay, okay, please. <laughs> yeah, what well, my fault? I said let's go back to the beginning, and that was the beginning. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. Okay, now. Mediterranean diet. We just talked about that. I guess you heard it all before I blanked out. 
chemical compounds called polyphenols are the key to wine's health benefits. As tannins and flavonoids, polyphenols also provide structure, texture, and flavor to wine. Here's a few things about polyphenols you might not know. Polyphenols reside in the skins and seeds of the grapes. As antioxidants, they scavenge free radicals from the body's cells, preventing and reducing damage caused by oxidation. And I, I've read some studies to you before about how uh, polyphenols clean the body and helps, you know, oxidation stuff. I know I have. There's we spent some time on that one show. The composition and concentration of polyphenols in wine vary by grape variety, vintage, geography, climate, and vinification. So they're not all the same. The bioavailability of polyphenols varies greatly across grapes and individuals. All that goodness isn't absorbed equally. That's another thing, too. And that's why a lot of times the diet helps create a better absorption level for the polyphenols. Red wine has 10 times more polyphenols than white, mostly because of the skin contact to the reds. Okay, that's why. So, and certain wines have more polyphenols than others. Not all wines are created equal. Here's a good example. The milligrams of polyphenol found in a Merlot is just about 1,100. Cabernet Sauvignon, it jumps up a little bit higher than that, just short of 1,500 milligrams. But Tannet wine has 4,000 milligrams of polyphenol. And Sagrotino also has over that about 4,100 milligrams of polyphenol. So I'm a big Cabernet fan. It's red. Now, that's great, but you're not having the ones that have the whole bunch of polyphenols in it. And those are the grapes that are grown in the Mediterranean region. So that's part of the Mediterranean diet. So you see the correlation there. You see how that works. Okay. Resveratrol. Resveratrol has emerged as the single most health beneficial polyphenol. So resveratrol is a polyphenol. The good news is for us that it, some red wines have some of the highest concentrations in nature, along with olive oil. I'm a big grapeseed oil advocate myself, so I would think, but maybe not. Okay, you know. Harvard geneticist David A. Sinclair can't sing higher praises for reserve Charles life-extending effects. He wrote a book called Lifespan. It was published in 2019, if you want, and I'm sure Amazon has it, Lifespan, by David A. Sinclair. He says, the best wines in the world are produced in dry, sun-exposed soil or from stress-sensitive varietals such as Pinot Noir. As you might guess, they also contain the most resveratrol. So he is a big fan of that. Production of resveratrol in plants is in response to stress, thus serving a survival function. This explains why the grapes struggle for water and nutrients 
have the highest levels of all. And this is why the method of starving the grapevine for water is for a purpose. Just as vines that struggle yield the best grapes, people can be the same way. Sinclair pointed out in his book that humans are at their most vital under just the right amount of stress. He isn't talking about the stress you get from the office. He's talking, <coughs> excuse me, it's the stress from exercise, intermittent fasting, hot and cold therapy, and diet high in resveratrol. He says, basically, your body is a vineyard. Take care of it, let it struggle a little bit, and it will produce a better you. So, since Renault's work on the French paradox, a growing body of research has confirmed that polyphenols in wine, and especially resveratrol, serve as a cardioprotective effect. Regular wine drinking can protect and reduce heart diseases, such as hypertension, coronary artery disease, and diabetes. Oh, if I wish it were true, I am diabetic. How? Well, reservatrol helps break down cholesterol and other body plaques. It enhances the glucose utilization and controls levels of oxidative stress. This all puts less pressure on the heart and keeps the blood flowing good. Yet another polyphenol that protects the heart and promotes longevity is procyanidin which is found in red wine tannins. So, there you go. So, you need to seek out tannic wine from Uruguay, Sagrantino from Umbria, and or uh, Cananu from uh, Sardinia Neural District, Sardinia Neural District. Those have all the best wines. For your resveratrol. Recent studies have shown that moderate wine consumption, as in the Mediterranean diet style, can protect against certain cancers. That includes pancreatic cancer, breast cancer, ovarian skin, esophageal, gastric, colon, and prostate. The polyphenols present in red wine, especially resveratrol and procyanogen, exert antioxidant effects that kill free radicals and thwart the growth of tumors. Now, now, we need to qualify this a little bit here. There's no studies cited on this article. None at all. Down at the end of the article, it just ends. And it doesn't cite any studies. This was written, let me tell you now, this was written by Dr. Chris Howard, who is an anthropologist interested in the biocultural aspects of wine. He lectures for Chaminade uh, University of Honolulu, Macy University, and conducts research for the New Zealand government and other organizations. Originally from Sonoma, he now resides in Wellington, New Zealand. So this is written by him, but again, comments is nothing here is backed up by any 
notations or studies. So it's a good thing for wine. We can listen to it and say, yay, but I am not making full statements, okay? Protect against uh, other healthy wine benefits, especially reserve or draw. Protects against age-related bone loss, improves kidney functions, fibrosis, and unwanted drug toxicity. Protects against degenerative eye disease, lowers glucose levels, which help prevent or treat diabetes. Improves gut health by eliminating bad bacteria and metabolizing healthy polyphenols. Prolongs female and male fertility by increasing ovarian lifespan and spermatogenesis. Anti-inflammatory and antioxidant effects aid the functioning of the blood system. Skin protection from UV radiation and melanoma. Improves lung health and anti oops. Improves lung health by eliminating bad bacteria and metabolizing healthy polyphenols. Prolongs female and male. I just read that anti-inflammatory. Oh, there I am. Okay, I was in the right spot. I scrolled the page up and lost my place. Improves lung health by preventing fibrogenesis, dysfunction, asthmatic effects. So, as great as it sounds, the science is mixed on the bioavailability of polyphenols in wine and how our body absorbs them. So, it's great to say this is all work, but there's two schools of thought on this. Some studies claim health benefits from a glass or two of red wine a day, while others say we would need to drink between 100 and 1,000 bottles a day to see real benefits. This is not recommended. Don't do that. Probably couldn't afford it anyway. That would be really expensive. The proof is perhaps in the long life expectancy and low rate of heart disease in the Mediterranean, where the psychosocial benefits of wine complement its biological aspects. Again, that's a lifetime of drinking. You can't just say, oh, good, I'm going to start drinking red wine now and I'm going to be better. It doesn't work that way. Psychosocial health benefits that promote overall well-being. Research has found that alcohol releases dopamine. That's a neurotransmitter responsible for experiencing pleasure. You get dopamine release during sex. You get dopamine release doing something you really enjoy. These are all things that, that do it. Well, alcohol does the same. What's more, hydroxytrosol. That's another filling compound, an antioxidant present in wine and olive oil, also assists in the release of dopamine. Resveratrol in wine has shown to have a neuroprotective effect, including protection against the damage that leads to Alzheimer's and dementia. Now, that is a good thing. It's worth drinking wine just to hope that's going to help on that. A major Spanish study has found an association between low to moderate alcohol intake with lower rates of depression. Again, I emphasize low to moderate alcohol intake. Too much could create problems. Anything above moderate, it's a risk for health benefits. So be, be aware. Social rituals, whether formal or informal, play a big part in health and well-being. Inspired by Epicurean philosophy, the physician Hippocrates advocated a holistic approach 
to health and which friendship, pleasure, and wine were all necessary. The pleasure of good wine and company also offers relief from the madness of the world. So it can bring us back to our senses. And during these times, oh my gosh, do we need it. So it's, you know, with everything that's going on in the world and I mean, you know, don't need to look far to find out that could be a, a stress factor. So wine could bring us back to a little bit relief from that. As the Korean-German philosopher Boing Chol Han observes, our burnout society orients toward the Vita Activa while overlooking the Vita Contemplativa. Well, that was interesting, but I have no idea what he's talking about. The ritual process of wine helps us slow down and become mindful and present. This can be important for health and well-being. And wine does have a ritual, doesn't it? I mean, we all have to agree whether we just unscrew the bottle and pour it or something. We still look at it. I mean, we still talk about it. Very few times have I ever been anywhere when someone's had wine that just ignored it completely. So engaging in restorative activities has shown that to be very good for our health. And these activities make us more productive and more creative. So wine serves a purpose there. Wine regions and vineyards are also not only beautiful, but therapeutic landscapes. If you get a chance to sit in a vineyard, that's why a lot of wineries have different things going on in the vineyard. The uh, Some of the wineries I tell you about has meals, uh, dinner in the vineyard, and stuff like that. And it is therapeutic. It's, it's quiet, and, and it's back with nature and stuff. They can be therapeutic. Uh, neuroscience shows that even imagining or anticipating visits to such places creates the same release of levels of dopamine as if you were actually visiting them. So, you know, in anticipation. If this lockdown has you stuck at home, you can anticipate visiting your local winery vineyard, which is just as relaxing as if you were there. Searching for meaning in wine. Do we? Yeah. Health benefits is meaning, something we are all searching for. Wine has a meaningful history. It connects us to ancient civilizations, traditions, land, climate, and community. An interest in wine can easily develop into a passion, sending us on meaningful quest for deeper understanding and appreciation of wine. In fact, Alan last week... Uh, I think is one of those people, once he discovered wine, it put him on a road to finding more about it. And then he found that at a young age and continued. One last social caveat after extolling many benefits of wine. Because the relatively good health of wine drinkers may be less a cause of wine than an effect of social economics. A Danish study demonstrated that wine drinking is a general indicator of optimal social, cognitive, and personality development in Denmark. So, statistically, wine drinkers are better educated, high, have higher incomes, and are in better health overall than beer, spirits, even non-drinkers. Yeah. As the sociologist Max Weber 
might say there appears to be an elective affinity between wine and the positive life outcomes. So, anything is good. Of course, reaping the health benefits of wine means balancing the health risk of alcohol. Moderate drinking. Two to three glasses a day for males, one to two for females. Consumption is likely to cancel out the benefits. We have hard days, hard nights. We consider one or two drink uh, wine-free days a week to balance things out. They don't. A glass of wine a day is really all that it takes. Wine is best approached in the Mediterranean style as part of a healthy diet and lifestyle. And don't they say that with everything? Here, use this exercise machine. You will lose 100 pounds when combined with a healthy diet and exercise. You know, I mean, that's what it is with everything. You know, when combined with a healthy diet and exercise. Same thing with wine. If you drink wine, if you do exercise, if you eat right, it's going to help you. But if you just think that wine is going to be the only thing that you need to do and start drinking yourself a couple of glasses of wine a day, not going to happen, not going to work. So keep that in mind. It's great to have the thoughts that wine's going to help, but you need to do it right. And doing it right means in moderation. So, uh, that's uh, a little bit of healthy healthy wine there. And let's see, what else? No, that's done. Uh, and, oh, what was all this right here? Is this thing right here? I found this, and I think I might post it up on our Facebook page if I can... If I can do that, I'll have my engineer do it. This is wine from grape to bottle. And again, this is from Wine Folly. Um, if you want to subscribe to Wine Folly, just go to winefolly.com and uh, on W-I-N-E-F-O-L-L-Y.com and you can subscribe to it, uh, their e-letter. Just how does your favorite bottle of wine get made? And this is a little picture uh, from start to finish on making wine. A little picture story here. And <coughs> excuse me. Uh, from start to finish, it has pictures showing it, little text uh, about how it works and what they do, and all of true and all that. Really an interesting little picture show and uh, little graphics and all sorts of stuff here and explains everything. A very good thing. It shows everything. And it's uh, an easy read, easy to understand, easy to view. Madeline Puckett, who is the main author in the uh, Wine Folly put this together. They also refer to an article in Art of Evelich by Jamie Good, which is one of my favorite wine authors. So I will see if I can't get this posted on our Facebook page. I, If it shows up, yay, great, through it and see it. If it doesn't show up, then I'm sorry, just forget I said that. But I, I don't know. I'll have my engineer do it. She knows how to take care of that stuff. 
much better than I do. Okay. Um, what else? Uh, oh, I won't get into this lot. We've only got about 10 minutes to go. Good wine is a matter of taste. But wine aromas, that's, there's a science behind that. There's a pretty, pretty complicated science behind it. I mean, there's all sorts of things that describe wine aromas and all sorts of different ways people describe them and all that. And it could just absolutely get out of hand. Uh, the quickness uh, is fruit, minerality, flowers, all these ways are just to describe something. But the countless flavors of sniff is a molecule. And it enters your nose and impacts your olfactory receptors and generates a signal to your brain which tells you, I'm smelling spray, or I'm smelling tannins, or things like that. And that's what it is. It's just little molecules that travel up there. And if you've never smelled something, and I always preach this in my wine class, if you are, have never smelled something, you can't understand what that smell is. Okay, It's only things that you have smelled that you can relate to. If you've never smelled diesel and someone says, ooh, this smells like diesel, you can't relate. You don't know that smell. So if somebody says, this smells like such and such, if you don't detect that yourself, that's okay. It's okay for two reasons. Number one, they may associate it with something that you've never smelled. And another reason could be that you're just not picking that particular aroma up. That molecule is not traveling in there and you're not picking it up. So that's really what aromas do. You're identified by the olfactory receptors which signals the brain and tells you what you're smelling as long as you understand that. Now, these molecules are tiny clusters of carbon atoms generated during grape ripening, alcoholic and malolactic fermentation, and wine aging. These can be split into three different categories. The varietal aromas. These are smells associated with a wine variety or the blend of the varieties. A varietal wine is a, a wine that is of a certain grape, but Cabernet Sauvignon is a varietal, so that's that, I think. Fermentation aromas. These are flavors associated with microbial respiration. Example, yeast eating sugars or off-gassing aromas. These are things that come from the fermentation. And third, aging bouquets. These are aromas derived from the breakdown of chemical compounds with time, temperature, and oxygen. Three basic types of aromas. Now, also, by the way, the enologist and researcher, Dr. Luigi Mayo, gives an exciting and clear explanation of the origin of the wine aromas in his book, The Breath of Wine. So... Uh, if you are are curious, then this article also is 
picking up some references to his book. So Dr. Luigi Mayo, M-O-I-O, and the Breath of Wine. I'm sure that is available also on Amazon. Brighter wine aromas are your primary aromas. Sommiers also often refer to the brighter aromas as just basic primary aromas. Primary wine aroma examples. Monoterpens. These smell like lychee, rose, and sweet perfume. These are commonly found in wine varieties like Moscato Bianco, Gewürztraminer, and Mucho Fluoro. The methoxyperazines. There are four major compounds. Smells like green pea, earthy green pepper, or musty green aromas. You can find this in Sauvignon Blanc, Carmenere, and Bordeaux varieties. Uh, it's also a natural bug repellent, too, within the, within the grapes. And another one uh, says quatropines. This smells like black pepper and is commonly associated with Syrah, Gruner, Wurtlinger, and Merverde. And I would also have to include Carmenere in that, too, because I always get that black pepper in that. And varietal theols. This is like passion fruit, grapefruit, even roasted meat and currant. It's in many white and red wines. Uh, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is a perfect example of that if you really want to see what varietal theols is. And if you can perceive certain primary aromas, it's because they're bonded to other bigger compounds that prevent you from breaking them down in your nose. And that can happen a lot, really. If aromas were immediately perceivable, the wine would have a very intense aroma for a short time. But they are hidden and released over a period of time. So that gives a little bit of longevity to the aroma so that you can continuously swirl your glass and the aromas keep coming out and changing a little bit and all that. Fermentation aromas. Acetone and diacetyl. This is from the malolactic fermentation. These cause the sweet butter or cream smells. And ethyl esters. Many of these, uh, many smell like cooked apples or apple peel, banana, pineapple. And they all almost all run alike. Uh, and sometimes the ester combine to create other new flavors in the wine. And then aging bouquets. Sometimes sommeliers refer to these as tertiary aromas. Wine aging in tanks, barrels, and bottles causes its bouquets. There are three mechanisms that make bouquets chemical reactions, oxidation, and wood flavor. Chemical reactions form when chemicals within the red wine react with one another to form a new one. Example, calls an acid interact to create esters. These are chemicals that happen in the tank. Oxidation. When wine aged in terracotta tanks or wood, they experience micro-oxidation, which can produce compounds like uh, uh, aldehydes. Sherry or Madeira aged in their 
tanks are exposed to oxygen and produce the dried fruit, nuts, and caramelized sugar flavors. That's directly to the oxidation. And wood flavors. Different woods will give different flavors, of course. Oak or chestnut impart different flavors. And wood from different parts of the world impart different flavors. Uh, oak barrels from Minnesota as opposed to an oak barrel from Spain is going to give you different flavors. The smells range from woody and coconut aromas, cloves, allspice, and vanilla. Vanilla is the most common one. That's coming a lot out of France. French tends to give you more of a vanilla barrel flavor. We need to get a, a, a Cooper on the show. I keep saying that, and for 10 years, we've never had a Cooper on the show. I need to get a hold of a barrel company and see if we can't get a Cooper on the show. And there's a Disney array of flavors found in wine, even though it's only old grapes, which is a funny line, but it's true. Combination of fermentation and all that stuff, all combined together, gives you all sorts of aromas and hence different flavors. Different chemical names of wine aroma molecules will combine with other different chemical names that are really unpronounceable. And it doesn't take a whole lot, as you've noticed over time, for me to unpronounce a lot of these chemical names. So it's understandable why people stick with the same ones and sommeliers and all that. Whenever they start describing wine, they will use the same basics terms that they use. One sommelier may use a set of terms all the time. You go to another one and he doesn't use a couple, three of those words. He'll use his own set. And it's because of the unlimited number of combination of aromas that you can get out of the molecules. So that's it. And I said that this was written by Oh, no, it's not. I said this was written by the editor of the magazine, but it wasn't. This was written by uh, Andrea Ba, who was born in Oste, Piedmont, Italy, and has been working in the wine industry since 2001, and recently completed his doctoral studies in chemistry at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Oh, my gosh. In 2015, he started an a project of production of traditional methods of sparkling wines in Israel from unconventional grape varieties. Hmm, good for him. So, he was the author of this article. And there you go. There's a couple of things I've been wanting to tell you about and we've had depth and I haven't had the time or I've, I've <laughs> skipped them. It's ketchup. Yeah, this is what, what it was. Today. It was a ketchup. And it's the thing with about the wildfires and stuff, and just yeah. catch up. So good. Yeah, very good. Um, good, uh, good deal. Good information, and uh, kind of touched up on some things that we touched up before. But it does change, uh, especially the health uh, benefits or not of uh, wine. Yeah. That's always we mention that every time. It's like it's That's good true. this week. Next week it'll be something different. So. And, um, and moderation all the time. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but 
Anyway, that's, uh, I think we're good here. And just making sure the rest of the video gets on here. We will uh, return next week. That is June the 18th, Thursday, 18th. 7 p.m. Eastern time. 18th? Yeah, okay. Woo. 18th. Um, thank you, everybody. <laughs> everybody for tuning in really appreciate it and uh drink responsibly and uh have a great week and a weekend and enjoy it thank you be safe out there thanks for listening hang on i messed up here let me go (laughs) ah there we go (laughs) what is this there we go let me rewind this and take two This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on the show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. There we are. I think. Did you come with me? Well, I can't hear you now. Are you there? There. I hear something. I don't hear you, though. There's a clapping, but I don't hear you. What? Where are you? Well, let's get both back up there. There we go. There, okay. okay. I took now us both I, back. Now I heard you. Well, I, I okay. picked us both back into the show, back into the mic. Yeah. We were in the green room. How come we couldn't? We couldn't hear any. I couldn't hear you in the green room. That odd. I I couldn't hear you either. I heard the clapping, but I couldn't and hear you. I didn't you. hear the clapping. You That's didn't. Strange. I did. You hit the clapping button. No. No. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I did. Oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah I heard that. Just a. Uh, hmm. But uh, I. Okay. And I kept, you know, and I, I didn't know if you heard me. That's I clicked us both no. into on mic, and. Uh, we, we can try talk again and see if we're... All right. We'll uh, quick and see. Let's try the green room again. All right. I'll go. All right.